I always tell people it's almost like when you're in a relationship and you feel like just something's not right. And so you change every other variable, you know, you like buy a house or you get a dog or you move or you like change your hair or whatever it is like and you think oh maybe that will be the thing that makes this better and then you're like oh no the underlying thing is the problem so I was in a great situation and I realized even in that situation I wasn't completely happy. Hey guys this is Coach K and you're listening to the Making Changes Breaking Barriers podcast where we talk about you. This is about you, your mind, and your path. So welcome back to another episode. I'm really excited to have you guys here listening and to have our guest here with us today. I'm excited to introduce Jenny to you. Jenny is someone who I met here in Bend, Oregon when I was doing a little bit of networking, just trying to find more like-minded people in town. And actually, we originally got introduced by one of my coworkers from my previous job. And so the fitness world and the running world is small, um, even though there are a lot of people who are interested in that here in Bend, Oregon. But it was really awesome to connect with Jenny. And I felt like her story was going to be just a really cool story for you guys as listeners to hear about because she's kind of gone a few different ways um, on, her, on her path. So with that being said, I'm going to just jump into our bio to start, and then we will you know, bring in Jenny and start having her tell her story a little bit. Okay, so Jenny Mayer is a running coach and movement specialist for athletes who currently live in Bend, Oregon. Previous to this career, Jenny was a lawyer for many years before quitting her career and starting over. Jenny realized she just wanted more out of her daily life and craved more positive interactions with others, which we're totally going to dive into that career change on the podcast today. Then after a few years in the ski and running industries, she started coaching athletes in 2016 and started her own business, the Athlete Lab Virtual Studio in 2020, which provides live stream and on-demand training content to runners as well as community events and retreats. When she's not working, you can find Jenny out on the local trails, taking selfies with her dog, which I can totally relate to, and being a complete couch potato after 8 p.m., which I also can relate to. Oh, and she also runs 100 milers for fun. Yes, you heard that right, for fun, which we'll have to have her explain a little bit more because I can't imagine running a 100 miler for fun. But she has done the same race nearly every October since 2017 called the Javelina 100. And this year will be her sixth finish. So with that being said, welcome, Jenny. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. And don't worry, the 100 miles, it's not always fun. <laughs> it's just fun afterwards, I think. I, exactly. Okay, I'm glad to hear you say that because I feel like that, like, you know, I can wrap my head around that a little bit more. You know, there's probably moments of it where it's like, okay, I'm doing it. But I, I would have to assume there's painful moments during that 100 miles, too. Yeah, and we'll get into it more um, probably later. But yeah, there's a whole just component of great challenge. But yeah, no, I wouldn't say it's all fun and games um, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely um, something that is more of that type two fun. Yeah, that totally makes sense. But yeah, we can definitely get into that a little bit more in a bit. But where I wanted to start today is a little bit of setting the stage for what we're going to get into in the rest of the podcast, which like I explained in the bio is a little bit of this 
these different career paths that you've taken so far in your life. And it first started with you going into law and getting your law degree and becoming a lawyer and practicing law. And so I kind of want to take it back to start and have you talk a bit about your background and kind of your story leading up to why you wanted to become a lawyer in the first place, because I think that that is going to be important to understand you know, before we then go into, okay, then why did we figure out that this wasn't the path that we wanted to, that you wanted to go down? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I pretty much went into law knowing that I wanted to do a very specific kind of law. Um, I was always really passionate about environmental protection, environmental science. Um, I actually went to a special, like a magnet program high school in Maryland, um, that, focused on environmental studies for um, for kids in high school to eventually, um, you know, both just gain general awareness of the world around us. Mind you, this was like the 90s, you know, which is so good to kind of start everybody that early. It wasn't always on the tip of everyone's tongue all the time back then. And, um, and it kind of led a lot of us to go into careers like that. Um, I was always a really... Uh, you know, I would say studious <laughs> student, um, and that I really loved um, just education generally. Um, I actually was a weirdo that actually just really liked school. Um, so I knew I wanted to go into um, grad school or some kind of continuing education um, at, right after college. So I did and um, went to law school with the eye towards like, this is something I could be good at. Um, I actually did try my hand at working inside of a a lab and going the science route um, for a few years. I was um, uh, pre-med and I did environmental science for a long time. I did biology for a long time. I worked in freshwater biology labs and genetics labs and um, and really didn't like that. It didn't really match my personality. The whole, um, the, the data stuff was, I'm a much more creative person and I thought law really allowed me a little bit more uh, freedom to kind of use words, which I was always so much better at than numbers. Um, and so, and I really didn't mind the reading and writing. So I, so I did law school. I went to law school, um, at Golden Gate University in San Francisco. Um, it had a top 20 environmental law program at the time and went there specifically for that. Uh, my first day, of law school, I literally called my mom. I, I was like, I'm quitting. I was like, this is not for me. I, it was really different than I thought. Like the environment was really different. And I didn't feel like it really gelled with my personality. And I think that that is part of the reason too, and we'll talk about that later, why I transitioned out. I always just felt like it wasn't a great fit for me, like the the culture and, um, and yeah, and I struggled with it for a long time. And, and you can imagine when you're forced to really pigeonhole and box yourself into a certain thing, um, how hard it is to like force that identity on you for years. I mean, I was in law for like six years. So, I mean, being able to really like let go of that was a really freeing, um, freeing thing eventually. But um, there were definitely times where I enjoyed it and times where I definitely um, excelled and thrived. But overall, I almost felt like it wasn't a great fit from the beginning. And it was really like this fear of I moved across the country from the East Coast to the West Coast. I uprooted my life, um, my family, like, you know, um, my relationship who I was in at the time, like, and moved to like one of the most expensive cities in the country. Um, 
and kind of like committed. So it was almost like that dogmatic approach of really like feeling like I had to do it or I had, I owed it to myself to at least like give it a good shot. And, um, you know, it, it instills a lot of confidence in you when you excel at it. So I got really good grades in law school. I was a great student. Um, I passed the bar on the first try. Um, so all of that kind of gives you a little bit of that push of maybe you should just stay in a little longer and see, see how it goes. And, and, and it took a lot of convincing of myself on my end and I think a lot of just personal growth to be able to eventually see that this wasn't um, perfect for me and there was probably something better out there. You mentioned two things about yourself that I picked up picked up on like right off the bat when we met for the first time, and that was that you're good with words and that you're very smart. <laughs> Those were two things that came across, you know, from the beginning. Um, but I want to dive into a piece of what you talked about a little bit more. But I'm curious because you mentioned a few times how the whole lawyer world, law school, becoming a lawyer, kind of felt like the right thing to do, and like you mentioned, you were good at it and you know all those things but there was always this underlying feeling of you know maybe this isn't really right for me it doesn't completely feel like it fits and I'm curious if you can dig into that a little bit more and maybe explain like what it is what it was you were feeling like what didn't feel right or what feelings did that instill in you were you know maybe it was a gut feeling or maybe it was a personality trait that came out because you know you weren't super happy or I don't you know I don't know what it was but I wonder if you can dig into that a little bit more yeah so um well I will say my background in college was environmental science but my 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 sub major so you have to pick something because it's such a huge discipline and so it was economics and I'm a very I think like efficiency minded person. And so I always thought like, if you are really, really good at something, you need to be doing that thing. Like there's no sense in trying to like be really great at something. Like I'm five, two, like I probably wouldn't be good at something that required you to be really tall. Like, you know, why struggle? Um, and so part of it was, I was, it came so naturally to me. Um, and I am a really like kind of type A, um, competitive, very naturally competitive person. And you almost feel like that's the kind of person, right? That gravitates towards law school generally. Um, and the people who really succeed in firms and, and stuff usually have some kind of highly competitive drive for themselves. Um, and I have a tendency towards, you know, being a little bit of like a workaholic, like really like trying to, um, difficulty finding balance, um, in, in that world. And, it was almost like when I stepped into the law school environment, there were like 200 carbon copies of me. <laughs> and I was just like, this isn't something that, like I wasn't really prepared to like be surrounded around people who had the, all the same personality quirks as me and who were just as driven and just as competitive and cutthroat and like passionate too. Um, as me, and it was a little bit, I think, overwhelming because as I went through law school, I really saw some of those traits get really exaggerated in me. Um, you know, I wouldn't say I'm like, you know, I'm not like an argumentative person, but I could see that like in law, everything's a debate. And so I could see that like bleeding into relationships, other things where everything was like, I was almost 
you know, playing devil's advocate with people and really like, my personality got kind of very exaggerated to that, to that um, archetype. And, um, you know, they promote the long work hours and like the, the harder you work, the more you bleed, like the more rewarded you'll, you'll have. And so I felt myself getting more and more imbalanced as I was really pushed towards that, especially in law school. I mean, once you're out of law school, you can pick a, a good environment sometimes that will, that will help um, sort of find your fit. But in law school, to succeed, it is, it is, it's cutthroat in a lot of ways. And um, I didn't not like it. I just didn't like the person I was kind of becoming in that. And then um, when I got out of law school, my first job was actually not in environmental law because believe it or not, <laughs> those jobs are very hard to get. The ones that pay the least are like extremely difficult to get. I spent a year actually in a personal injury firm doing litigation and I was working close to 70 hour, if not more, work weeks um, and in court litigation and that also pushes you very much towards that. Um, you get really rewarded for overworking yourself and um, basically not having any balance in your life at all. And then it wasn't until about a year later, maybe a little less than a year after, um, I got my first job at environmental nonprofit. And um, I loved it. And I loved the people. I mean, they were so laid back and they were just so different from other lawyers. But the, the underlying feeling was still there. And... Ultimately, it was the feeling of, it's almost like, I always tell people, it's almost like when you're in a relationship and you feel like just something's not right. And so you change every other variable, you know, you like buy a house or you get a dog or you move or you like change your hair or whatever it is like, and you think, oh, maybe that will be the thing that makes this better. And then you're like, oh no, the underlying thing is the problem. So I was in a great situation and I realized even in that situation, I wasn't completely happy. So that was a huge kind of light bulb that went off in my head because I kept thinking like, once I get to where I want to be, I'll, everything will fall into place and I'll have the life that I want to have. Um, and it was still not ideal. Um, I was with really like-minded people, but I really wanted to be outside more. Like I was spent all this time. I worked in water rights litigation. I spent all this time like working with people who were outdoor advocates and um, fishermen and kayakers and conservationists. And we talk about all these natural places. And I spent 90% of my time inside of an office that had a view of downtown Oakland. And all I wanted to do was be out there and and that place was great. They tried as much as possible, but in the end, your work is at a computer and in a library. And, mm -hmm. um, and I realized as much as I could do that job and do it well, I always knew that that was going to be in the back of my mind that I just wanted to have a little bit more, more freedom. I found it really interesting when you talked about specifically like the part of your personality that got almost exaggerated with you know, embodying what a lawyer is and that gets really kind of honed into you to, you know, you need to be this to be a good lawyer and you had that personality trait already and then it got exaggerated. I can relate to that actually when I was a head coach at the collegiate level, I noticed that a little bit too and it was this really weird realization of of bringing it home and, and checking myself and saying like, wait a minute, what's happening? You know, obviously in a head coaching position, when we stepped onto the court, I was the boss and I was in charge of an entire team of an entire staff. And 
you know, in the sports world, specifically even basketball, I mean, you're in this gym, you're in this arena, it's loud. And so you need to be loud, right? I, I needed to use my voice. I needed to be direct. I needed to be stern at times, all of these things. And I did start to notice that that is a little bit of my personality, but I was having to very much exaggerate it. And then I was also starting to bring that home a little bit. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't like this. I don't think Cora liked it either. And, you know, so that was definitely like a check for me and a little bit of a, a hard balance. And I, I have found that since I stepped out of that position, I don't really deal with that at all anymore, which I actually like quite a bit. So I can totally relate to that. So I appreciate you explaining a bit more, by the way, just about what you were feeling and why, you know, in your gut, it really just didn't feel like the perfect fit. Not that it wasn't good at times and maybe paid decently or whatever. Like there was perks, but it wasn't, there was something in your gut that was saying it wasn't a perfect fit. And you've spoke a little bit about, you know, why you felt like you maybe wanted to make a transition. But what I want to ask you and what I want you to go into next is, like, what did that look like when you eventually, you know, put your foot down and were like, I need to make a transition. I need to make a career change. What did that process look like? Did you know exactly what you wanted to do? Was it nerve wracking? Were you scared? Yeah. So that was around 2012, 2013. I had been in law. I started law school in 2004. So um, I had been a lawyer since 2007. So that was roughly like about six years. And I knew well before that, um, you know, working at the nonprofit, I was working off of grants a lot. So kind of jobs were kind of like in and out. I was always job security was not amazing compared to like just being at a firm or trying to be a managing partner. So I was always kind of like going back there and then taking like other contract jobs and stuff in between. Um, and I realized that I cared so much about my clients at the environmental firm. I was getting a lot of recognition for this one case that I helped with. Um, it was like this amazing case I worked on and I cared so much about my clients and so much about the cause. I mean, I've been working on this since I was, you know, I've been working in environmental world since I was really like probably 12 because we had a lot of early influence. I had a lot of early influences in education um, that kind of pushed me in that direction or helped me guide me in that direction. And um, so this was something that was super near and dear to my heart. I couldn't ever imagine doing anything other than what I was doing. Um, but I did know that I, I wanted to make that change. And I, you know, I need to, I need like my horoscope right or something. Cause I'm a Virgo. I'm a deep planner, but I'm also like highly impulsive in a way of like, I will plan everything out, but once I make a decision, I make it and that's it. And like, I do not waffle a lot or think a lot about stuff. Once I make it, I like make it. I'd never look back kind of thing. And sometimes I'm that way too, by the way, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. I, I like that way of doing things personally. So <laughs> You'd think that they wouldn't go together, but it, but for some reason it works for me. Um, but I'm a deep planner. Like I plan every second of my day. I like having the security of having a schedule and having stuff planned out. So, it what seemed I think to ever, to a lot of people like this impulsive giant decision to me made very logical sense and something I was thinking about for many many years before it actually happened. Um, I was just getting the pieces together. Um, and one of those, pe or two of those pieces was, how am I ever gonna leave a job that I love and like leave people that I love and clients that I love, one. And two, how am I ever gonna 
pay my student loans back <laughs> and like how am I gonna live um, and like really what am I gonna do because I have like no other real skill set <laughs> like this is what I was trained to do and this is my skill and um, I think this the third I guess that was three things the third of that that was the scariest the scariest thing was actually like like I don't know what I'm gonna do um, and you know, you have, I think for someone that likes, I'm a, a little bit of a control freak, someone that likes to have control over things, I think that's like a little difficult to relinquish control to like, it'll all figure itself out. But um, the first one, I definitely, when I left the, I left the environmental field and I went into a contract job that paid, which is kind of the first two, two things. I, it paid really well. Um, and I was working in the tech industry or IT. I was working for Samsung at the time. And um, uh, it was a contract job. So and honestly, I don't care about these companies. So to me, it was like really easy to like literally give two weeks notice and then just, you know, peace out. Um, and yeah. it allowed me to like save a little bit and have a little bit of, of funds to just rely on so that if I didn't figure out what I wanted to do right away, I could like survive for six months or something in living in the Bay Area without having too much of an issue. So um, that's kind of how I did that. And I did that. It went on a little longer than I wanted it to, but it, but it was about a year and a half, about a year or a year and a half um, that I was doing that. And it was like, I mean, I hated every second of that job, but, <laughs> but that was great because it made me really want to leave. Um, you know, if I thought my life was bad before it was really bad then I was literally in a cubicle without windows um in Redwood City like just doing stuff that I didn't really care about and really mindless work too it wasn't like cerebral at all it was like you know data sorting um so that was that and then everybody around me was like I think they like didn't believe me because I kept telling people like I don't want to be a lawyer anymore and everyone's like oh yeah 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 like none of us like our jobs it's fine and um and I think people just like didn't believe me. So when I actually made the decision, it, it felt like very, um, very impulsive to people like around me, like to my friends who were in, in law and to like my family. It seemed like, sure, you thought all this through. And um, and I was just like, yeah, like I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And so actually around this time of year, it was this time of year. It was like beginning of August because I had a couple trips planned and I wasn't, they weren't going to give me the vacation time. I couldn't take them basically. Um, I wanted to go to my best friend's wedding out in Wisconsin and I wanted to um, go backpacking in Yosemite. Uh, it's like something I've wanted to do and I've got zero vacation days. So I was like, this is the perfect time to leave because I can now go do all those yeah. things. I had just run my first ultra and realized how hard it was to actually train and try to have outside interests um, at the place that I was. So it all just kind of fell into place. Um, and it was scary. I didn't have a plan. People are always like, so did you know what you wanted to do? I had no idea. I just knew I wanted to not be where I was. And you know, I tell people it's, it's also just like a relationship. Like just because you don't have a new one to go into doesn't mean that the one that you're in is like the right fit for you. So could I have done it for another like yeah. five years? Of course I could have. Um, but the longer you're in, the harder it is to leave too. I was still in my early thirties at the time. I was like 31 or 32. And I was like, if I don't do it now, like, I don't know, you can get stuck here um, forever, which is the stories that I've heard about lawyers that were senior to me that um, knew that they didn't really want to do it, but then they kind of just get stuck in the industry. And it's really all you can do. And, and you're held in a lot by fear, right? Um, 
but financial fears, job security, all that stuff's very like primal when you when it comes down to it. Like, how are you going to provide for yourself? Um, and that stuff was really scary at first. But yeah, when I left, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, the only other skill I had was right before I went to law school. I lived out in Colorado for a year, and I was a like I did ski tech and helped with boot stuff. And I was like, it's literally the only skill I, <laughs> I think I have other than the fact that like, you know, like I really love like community and all that other stuff, which kind of like started to come into play later. Um, and so I joined a bunch of organizations that worked with like ski stuff. And I started working at a local ski shop in Berkeley and helped tune skis and stuff. And literally within a month, less than a month, a friend had called me who had just opened up a um, running store in, in north of San Francisco in Marin. And he's a friend of a friend of a friend. Like I had met his wife tangentially through the fitness industry, actually working out. She was a TRX instructor and I met her randomly through the fitness industry. And she was like, you know, we just opened up the store. We're looking for help. And I was like, I get to be around runners. Like that's pretty cool too. So yeah, so I joined San Francisco Running Company then, and um, that was kind of my foray into into running yeah. and fitness. But it really, like, fell into place. And I understand, like, that can feel like a lot of luck to people, you know. But for me, it felt like you can't find those opportunities if you're still holding on to, like, the, the other stuff that's, like, holding you back. I wouldn't have had any capacity to job search or to take something like that if I was still a lawyer. So those opportunities might feel like they fall into laps sometimes, but in reality, like it, it sounds so hokey, but it really truly is like you creating a situation in your life where it's conducive to welcoming that stuff. You mentioned that when if you stay in a job, like you could have done that job for five more years, right? But then there's always the risk that you do kind of get stuck, right? Like that does totally happen to people. That's a real thing. And the first thing that came to my mind was also exactly what you just said. Not only can you get stuck, but when you stay in that job that you know isn't right and that you know isn't the long-term play for you, it's also keeping doors closed that could be opening for what maybe is going to be more fulfilling in the long-term play and all those other things. And so, I mean, I totally understand the feelings of, you know, needing money, like the security of being able to pay rent and the security of being able to provide for a family. And so sometimes the answer isn't always just like quit a job. And even when you left being a lawyer, like you said, you got this other contract job and you did it for a year and a half. So it wasn't just like totally cold turkey in the corporate world. Right. But yes, as soon as we can, like you said, create that environment within our life that is kind of open and isn't held back anymore I do think a lot of times the right opportunities do present themselves so it's cool that you have that experience I want to ask what is your running background Jenny like I I, I don't know this about you did you run cross country in high school or did you just become like did you just kind of fall in love with running as an adult both um <laughs> okay. I ran in high school, um, but I was a sprinter. I ran track, um, and I really hated endurance-based sports generally. Um I was never really great at anything that required endurance, which is funny because um, you know, I like do so much of it now, but I really loved running fast. Um I was a sprinter um in uh in high school. 
I mean, I'm not saying I was very good, but, um, <laughs> but that's like what I did. And I ended up tearing my, um, I had a minor injury. It was not a full tear, but I, I injured my ACL, um, my senior year. And I basically couldn't run, um, my senior year. And, uh, and I went to a, I went to University of Maryland, College Park. Like, I was never going to walk on to that time. Like, I, it wasn't like I had collegiate aspirations, but I did, mm-hmm. you know, like like running. And I had a lot of race anxiety growing up, which it just, like, explains so much in my personality now. But it, um, mm-hmm. it's really, like, it was a love-hate relationship. I loved the community. Like, I loved doing well when I did well, right? Um, but it was, it felt like always a lot of pressure. So I think when I got injured, it was simultaneously like someone, a doctor pretty much telling me like, I can't run. Um, and also a huge pressure like lifted off of me that I didn't have to run. I didn't have to anchor my four by four team, my senior year. Like I didn't have to do any of that. And it felt like freeing. Um, so in college I did a lot of like I did some rock climbing, I did some backpacking, like I was outdoorsy, but I never did gym time, like ever. University of Maryland has one of the most beautiful state-of-the-art gyms, and I didn't step foot in it like maybe once um, the entire time I was there. I think I went in it my senior year, and it was like, I didn't know this was here the whole time. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I worked in college a lot. I went out, and like I just, running was never a priority or fitness, and um, it wasn't really until my late 20s that I got back into running. Um, and okay. so I took about a 10 year break from running. So yes, I ran when I was younger and that was a big part of my life then. But, um, but yes, I also fell, fell in love with running as an adult, um, later in life. And, uh, and I knew that I wasn't like going to be fast anymore. And there's not really like a, there's cross country and stuff for, for, you know, adults here, but there's not really like a forum where you're just like sprinting, competing if you're not at like an elite level. Um, so, yeah. uh, so yeah, I, I just went into distance. I had some friends that were doing, um, trail running and ultras. And so I actually ran my first ultra before I ran my first road marathon. Um, I, I kind of went the reverse, (laughs) um, because I really loved being out on the trails. And that was something that, um, really appealed to me way more than just the act of running itself. So that was probably in my late twenties. I started kind of getting back into running and I ran my first ultra when I was, um, uh, 30, I think 30 or 31. Got it. Cool. Well, I'm glad that you kind of found the love for running in a, in a little bit of a different way again, later on in life. I totally get the appeal for trail running. Obviously trail running is huge here where we live in Bend, Oregon. There's so many places to go out. I will say though, as much as I do love trail running, I think I'm more of a road runner. I, I, I think for my fitness, for some reason, I love being able to like tune everything out. Like, so I'll listen to a podcast every once in a while on a run, but for the most part, I love just putting on one of my favorite playlists. I'm listening to music. I'm just like tuning everything out, you know, barely even thinking about anything. And on a road, besides crossing streets and stuff like that, you can basically do that. Whereas on the trail, you're having to think a lot, right? You're having to think almost every single step, you know, not stepping on, you know, branches or rocks or whatever it is. So, although I do like it, I do like going out in the woods, um, for some reason, road running appeals to me a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I it's it's funny you say that. I'm uh, I'd say I'm 
split 50-50 a little bit, like in the sense that I think when you talk to a lot of ultra runners and trail runners, it's like the road is like the evil place, right? The treadmill mm -hmm. is like the dreadmill. Like people hate it so much. And I like running on the treadmill. I like running on the road. Um, I was actually on a podcast many years ago, probably five years ago with my husband, um, who's a runner as well. And um, we were on a, a running podcast and they do a quick fire and they say like road or trail at the end. And I said road. And I didn't realize how much controversy that would spark up that like no one says that. It's like the podcast stopped and everybody's like, what? Um, oh my gosh. Uh, because, I, because where I was living at the time in Berkeley, I mean, the, it was easy and accessible and the road routes were actually really pretty um, in the Bay Area. And so like... I think that there's a lot of things, like you said, that, that come along with it that are, that are, that's both. And you have to, you do have to be super present on the trail. Um, rocks, roots, turns, ups, downs, as well as like, you know, I was running out in like Shevlin yesterday and I was like, it was kind of late and I was like, oh, I'm like wildlife, like, did Mountain I hear something? Lions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's some cats out there and, um, I've had some mm -hmm. run-ins, uh, and not here, but in, in the past. And, um, yeah, and I think that that's one of the things, too, that I, I do like about it. I do have to say, I've never listened to music or a podcast on a run. Um, maybe, like, less than five times um, when it's, like, a super long run and I'm, like, just out there just grinding away. Um, I haven't probably done it in six, seven years. Um, I literally don't know what I think about. People ask me all the time, like, what do you think about on a run? I'm like, I, I don't know. I think I zone out or I'm it's like almost like a dream state. Like your brain is just cycling through thoughts. And when you're done, I almost feel like it's like cathartic because everything's like therapied, worked itself out of your, your head that you were thinking about before. Um, so for me too, because I do run alone a lot, it's, it's a lot of like my personal time, like my alone time, my time away from, I'm a very social person and my job's very social. And so it's a nice time mm -hmm. to have that time just, just to myself. But I like both. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I like running on the treadmill, honestly. People like, people like hate it, and like I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> I do listen to music on the treadmill. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a huge treadmill runner. I had to do it like last week when it was a little bit uh, smoky. more smoky yeah. in town, and yeah, I was like, oh, I'm not a fan. But I feel like the no headphones thing is totally a, a runner's thing as well, and I just have not been able to wrap my head around it. You know, just go out and and not be listening to anything. I love music. Like I. I love music. I think it adds to my runner's high when I have like the perfect song come on and I've sometimes I'll be running and I think people probably think I'm crazy, but I'm like, like mouthing the words of the song or even maybe singing like while I'm running. And, and I love that, but I do, I've always considered, uh, like when I ran the one marathon I, I ran, I didn't have headphones in. Right. Because it is nice to, you know, hear the, the cheers of the people who are standing there watching and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I know that that's kind of like a frown. No, it's not frown. No, it, it's totally thing, not. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's totally not. There's so many like even like there's elite runners out there who are run hundred mile like trail races. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I'm friends with a few people who like you'll always see them in races and they'll always have a headphone in. Um, these races can get really boring and long and solitary, and it is nice to pass the time. Um, and I I think it's just to me I. And, and, you know, I'm a running coach. And so I tell this to my athletes too. Like it's a personal preference. I don't, 
look down upon people as being like, you can't be in your thoughts, you know, like it's fine. Just like meditation isn't for everybody either. Yoga is not for everybody either. Cause sometimes that requires a lot more like internal presence or whatever. And I have to admit, like if I was going to go to, I haven't been on a track and I don't know how many years either, but if I had to be like on a track or doing like a workout, music definitely helps. Um, it it adds to not only distraction, but like to, like you said, to the experience, like a song you really like, like pump ship. There's a reason why they play songs at the beginning of races and, um, you know, you do a lot of workout things to songs. So I don't think it's frowned upon, um, necessarily. I do think that not having it sometimes for me, running the really long hundred mile stuff, it really like makes me not need that stuff so that if there was a race where I wasn't allowed to have it, or if it ran out of batteries and I couldn't have it, it wouldn't be something that I was relying upon. Um, I do a lot of races, like the race I do every year, like they're looped and like they're loops, loop races. And I do a lot of like the same routes. I'm kind of a creature of habit. And I feel like I don't get bored easily. So that is also, I feel like played into like me running longer ultras, like hundred milers. Like I don't feel like I need the entertainment. Um, it's sometimes nice to have, but I'm also, yeah, I'm way back in the, era like I wish things were just so simple if I could like not carry water with me I would too but I can't so like if I could just not have yeah. less less stuff on me the better so um I think it's partially probably why I never you... got hardcore into like cycling because I feel like it's so equipment heavy it's like you have a mechanical or something <laughs> running is so simple compared to you you know you're doing um like training for a triathlon right and so it's like that yeah. stuff is so like more complex than just running that we're really like blessed as runners that we have so much less to think about. Yeah. I had a moment. Um, yeah, I'm training for that half Ironman in October. So I had a moment, like, I think it was week one of training where I was trying to, cause for the first week I was just using the bike that I had, which wasn't a road bike. I was just trying to get out and like get some miles in. And then I was realizing, okay, I need this. I need that. I like, I need all of these things. I had a, almost had a moment of overwhelm and just being like, it's not worth it. Right. But I kind of took it step by step and I have pretty much what I need now, but it's definitely a lot. Um, but I was going to also say that the Iron Man is, is a loop, um, as well for the bike and the run. I can't remember how many loops the run is, but I know the bike is three loops to get to the 56 miles. So I am already like thinking about maybe, trying out a few loops here in town on my training rides and stuff like that because as of right now I've just done either one big loop or an out and back um and so I think I'm gonna like it though because especially for a race like knowing what's coming after that first loop I think will be nice right like knowing there's gonna be a hill here and a downhill here and um I, I think that will actually be good for a race setting so it's also um, nice I but, think because it gives oh, like ahead. those check those check boxes like you're like one loop done check I know I'm I like lists True. <laughs> so like it's nice Me too. to like, I do too. <laughs> like oh a third of my race is done yeah yeah um but let's dive into how you started your your running business so I don't know if that if there's like years in between you working at the run store to then when you started the um virtual athlete lab but yeah talk about that transition a little bit and starting your own business yeah so essentially I'm um, like I was working at the running store and I was interacting with a lot of runners and living in the Bay area and then working in Marin at that time. Um, for those that know the sport of ultra running, that time was like, um, like the hotbed of like 
a lot of really great elite up and coming runners living in that area. Um, and so I had access to just amazing terrain, but also just like a huge community. Um, and I think that that really helped in a lot of ways. I was very like integrated into the community and um, knew just very like insider into that industry for, for that many years. And that helped because I made a lot of connections at that time. Um, the way I ended up getting into coaching was I was personally training and then I had a coach um, at the time. I had hired um, a coach for what I thought was going to be my first 100 miler back in 2014. Ended up, long story, ended up, or 2015, ended up running a 100 kilometer race and literally in part, as part of training and then literally being like, that's long enough. <laughs> I don't want to do 100 miles quite yet. And it took me a few years to get to that start line to like really want to do that after um, kind of seeing a preview of what that could feel like. 62 miles versus 100 is a big difference. So I just couldn't even wrap my head around running 40 more miles. Um, So I was actually being coached at the time and I thought that that was super interesting. Like the, I was sort of hearing about other coaches, um, a lot of early influences that were those like ultra running coaches that had come up during that time who were, at the time, not everybody had a coach. Really, the only reason I did was because I was super integrated into that community. You would go to like a group run and maybe they would have like a coach that would coach like track workouts or something, but you wouldn't have like a personal coach unless you were maybe like an elite runner or a competitive runner. And it realized at that time, there was like a little bit of a pivot around that 2014-15 time where people were starting to realize that, you know, you could be a normal runner and hire a coach. This wasn't like an access barrier. It was just like people thinking, oh, this isn't for me. Only like good runners do it or whatever. And so it was around that time that more and more people were looking and seeking out coaches, even though they weren't like elite runners. They were like an everyday runner who wanted to go from marathon to 50K and didn't know how to do it. And there aren't very many resources out there, um, especially in the ultra running world at the time. So um, I had a few clients with the shoe store and they used to call me like the shoe whisperer because I love foot mechanics and I used to work in the ski industry making like custom footbeds as well. So it's sort of like, I have a lot of background in that and people used to like really trust my advice. So people used to come in and casually ask all the time stuff about gear and shoes and then it kind of bled into training. I didn't really know what I was talking about. A weirdly enough backstory, long, long, long time ago, previous to that, in law school, I'd actually gotten my personal training certification. I thought that was maybe something that I wanted to do like on the side, and I didn't have any time, so it just fell by the wayside. So I, so I didn't really have any experience or knowledge, but that was something I dipped my toes into like 10 years prior, um, just as a segue. Um, and, yeah. and so, yeah, so people started asking me questions, and then eventually someone was like, hey, like, could you give me your plan that you used for this race that you did? And I was like, sure. So I gave them a plan that I had made for myself and at the time and um, they used it and really liked it. And they asked if they could give it to their friend and they said yes. And um, then they said, oh, I'm training for this other race. Do you, do you have one that you use for that race? And I said, no, but I could probably help you. Um, and I didn't really like have any specialized training or know what I was doing. And looking back, like, I hate those people. Like (laughs) I hate those people now who are like, I don't know what I was doing. I was just putting stuff together. Cause who knows if I was telling them the right stuff or the wrong stuff, but it really did spark 
that community, they wanted an everyday person coaching them. They wanted someone who was finishing races around the same time that they were coaching them. They didn't want to be felt like they were lesser by going to like an elite coach and paying $400 a month and, you know, feeling not good enough. Cause a lot of people have these like feelings of inadequacy when it comes to like running, especially if they're a middle of the pack or back of the pack person. And I guess I didn't make them feel like that because I was in their shoes a lot. Um, you know, I'd, I've won races and stuff before, but I was by no means like an elite runner. Um, I'd consider myself pretty solid middle of the pack most of the time. So, so yeah, so that's kind of how it started. And then I realized at that point I needed like training. And so then I started researching and getting more training um, and certifications when it came to run coaching to like help people. And then it was around 2016, 17, that 16, I think that was around 2015, 16, then 16, 17, more people were asking me about, um, strength and mobility stuff. Cause they were like, Oh, I'm injured. Um, I have it band stuff going on, or my hips are really tight. Can you give me some stuff to do? And I'm like, I don't know stuff to do. Like, quad stretches, pigeon pose, like whatever. Right. And I hated yoga yeah. at the time, like hated it. I got dragged to a few yoga classes and like, it was the most dismal experience for me. I just like really didn't like it, but I said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I had a little bit of time. I was, um, I actually just stopped working at the running store and I was working for a few race companies doing, doing coaching and doing programming for them. So I was like, I'm going to actually take time and get my 200 hour certification in yoga. Um, and really like deep dive into that. And then I did, and then I realized how horrible just blanket yoga was just for a specialized population who was needing it for a specific purpose. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really what spurred my interest in going and getting more continuing education and piling on. I got my 500-hour yoga. I did another personal training certification. I've gotten all kinds of biomechanics certifications. I've taken thousands of hours of continuing ed. Um, everything up until recently, I just did a cadaver dissection <laughs> with a group um, wow. down in Boulder, which is which was really great. And having that really focus on anatomy because I realized that I couldn't, as a coach, I couldn't just send people to a yoga class and know what to expect. And so I felt like if I really wanted to take care of my athletes that I was coaching, I had to be the authority. I had to be the one who was directing them and then, yeah, it kind of just grew. And in 2019, I, I had this idea that I really wanted to start doing. Well, I started doing workshops in like 2017. And then I realized I kind of wanted to do these like pop-up events for runners and maybe do like a regular class that's like for runners. Um, and I had them all set up um, at a studio uh, for March and April of 2020. Um, and then I got mm. married. In January of 2020, and we were on our honeymoon in March, and I came back to the lockdown and realized that was no longer feasible. Um, I held them all virtually um, on Zoom, and then people said, well, can you continue to do this stuff on Zoom? And I was like, I don't see why not. And I started to do like 10, 15 classes a week um, just geared towards the runners through the pandemic, and that's kind of how my, my virtual studio started. So that was a really long timeline history, but, but it all kind of bled, bled into each other by me just really like, and if I had advice to people who wanted to do the same, like the community is really where, what allowed me those opportunities. So really like integrating into a community was what naturally led to this progression of really finding something, um, that I could do that was a career that was sustainable, not just like, you know, 
something that I was holding place with. I have to tell you, it's, I don't know if this is just what I attract or what I'm just unconsciously finding, but almost every single business owner that I've interviewed for this podcast had some sort of just like magical moment because of COVID where it just all kind of worked out, right? Like for you, it was, you had all these workshops planned already, probably people registered and then you just had to move, move them to be virtual, which, you know, probably was a bummer at the time, but it also has allowed you to stay virtual, um, which allows you to reach a larger audience, like not just people in Bend, I'm assuming. Um, and, you know, so anyways, I just think yeah. that that's so funny how obviously COVID there was a lot of big negatives to it obviously but um it really did open certain doors for certain people in pretty cool ways as well i I always have to say that like i feel almost guilty saying it and bad saying it because the pandemic was not a good thing for a lot of people um and just for the world generally it would no one would consider it a good thing but a lot of positive things came from that because i don't know if i could have i was teaching a lot of in studio like workout classes and stuff and that stuff isn't sustainable financially i was burning myself out um you know teaching i was in my late 30s at the time like i don't have the kind of energy to like drive around to, like 50 different studios and then work for like pay get paid like 30 dollars a class to teach something like it's just not what i wanted to do and i wanted to devote more time to coaching but but i felt this like onus that I needed to like keep my foot in like this like fitness industry. Um, and so I really like knew that that wasn't sustainable and it wasn't until the pandemic hit that it really like allowed me to actually like do that because it was no longer possible to work in the studio. Um, and it also allowed a lot of other people access to technology that, that they would have in the past not been conducive to taking a workout class, maybe like online with me. Um, yeah. so it allowed that. And it also like, Truthfully, like none of my clients, I think that I know of are in Bend. I mean, <laughs> uh, and I've moved from Washington, from the Bay Area to Washington to Bend um, about a year ago. And like, this allows me to, I have clients who are, live in France. I have clients that live in Australia. I have, and those are running coaching clients and virtual studio clients and clients that live on the East Coast, people who travel all the time, people that are home with their kids and would never be able to even drive. Even if I lived on the West side of town and I taught on the East side, they wouldn't even be able to make that trip. Um, yeah. So I think that, yeah, it has opened doors and it has been a generally positive thing for my business in the long run that that's not to say it wasn't extremely difficult and stressful at the time to make that transition. But I think we don't sometimes make big changes in our life until you feel like you really have to. And that was something where it was like an adapt or die situation. Like, like you either have to get with the flow and, and do it, or, or you just have to sit on your hands and wait for like the world to catch up to you and, and to me, I feel like a lot of the, I always say that like this whole, like making the leap from like the law career to fitness and, you know, at the time too, around that time, a little before that time, way before that time, around the time I graduated from law school and was like a lawyer, I also went through a divorce and like making those big, big changes in life and, and proactively making them like you are the one making them. Um, they're not just happening to you. Um, which is unfortunate when stuff happens, right? If you get like sick or you get an illness, like that happened to you and you have control over how you respond. But I feel like often making the choices that are scary 
in life, it's almost like a practice in bravery. Like the more times you do them and you land on your feet and you kind of prove to yourself that you're gonna be okay. Like it's okay to take those chances um, within reason because what's the worst can, that can happen, honestly? Like you're probably not gonna die. So like short of that, um, who cares if it's a mistake? You know, I think people are really scared about making the wrong choice. And I think sometimes you will have no idea whether something's right or wrong unless you you do it. So I always say I'm not sure if I would have made all of these decisions later in life, like to, to move or to start my own business or to do all this other stuff if I hadn't had the practice of, you know, leaving a career when everyone was telling me it wasn't the right thing to do. I was the only one that had my back in that in that situation. I mean, people ended up supporting me when they realized that was what was happening, but everybody tried to convince me that I should just stick it out. And it's hard to stand up to like your parents and stand up to your friends and stand up to your bosses and trust your gut. Um, and I think when you do that and it turns out right, I mean, it was hard, but you really prove that you are the best knower of what's right for you. And I feel like you can trust your intuition a lot more after that because it's tried and, and true. So I do like attribute yeah. a lot of the, my stuff later in life to being able to practice making those choices. And I'm not saying everything I do is right. I make plenty of mistakes in life. Trust me. Um, you know, and you pay the price for some of those, but in the end, like you're okay. I'm alive. I'm healthy. I'm, you know, I think that people, you build it up in your head as being a bigger deal than it is if you fail at something. And I think sometimes taking that leap is worth the risk of of failure. But I don't think that I would have been strong enough to to like risk that failure like later if I hadn't, you know, really like, I think tried to do that earlier and been like, you know, I've done harder things in life. I've gone through harder things. If this doesn't work out, it's not the worst thing that's happened to me. <laughs> yeah, I really love how you explained that. And there was definitely like a clip in there that I was just imagining I, I'm going to want to clip in editing because you just described, you know, the benefits of making big changes in your life, especially doing it early, because then you do learn the skill of being able to do it later on in life. You built the confidence to be able to do that. But you also, I think, explained well that it's not easy, right? It's not going to be easy. No one's saying it is. It doesn't come without its failures. It doesn't come without its, its mistakes. But at the end of the day, that doesn't mean it's not worth it. And um, yeah, I mean, that's what I try and reiterate in this podcast all the time. So I appreciate you explaining that but I do want to be a little bit conscious of our time and oh, yeah, so of course I am going to transition us into our rapid fire round if you're down for that I do that with all of my guests and basically it's just five questions that I'm going to ask and the goal is to answer them in one word to one sentence max as best as you can so are you up for it I am okay awesome so the first question is, I'm actually very curious about this. If you could be a professional athlete in any other sport other than running, which sport would you choose? Rock climbing. Nice. Okay. I figure uh, that's why I was excited for this question. I was like, I figure that's going to be another really just like cool outdoor sport, but I was wondering which one it would be. Um, all right. Question number two, what is the biggest challenge that you personally are facing right now? Ooh. Um, it's 
time management, for sure. Being a small business owner, time management's always key, but it's it's been hard. I have a lot on my plate, so time management, it's a skill. It needs to I develop over that. time. And yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And we didn't even get into everything really that you're doing, obviously, besides being a run coach and, and running the virtual lab with all the classes. You also teach at the um, Legree. Is that mm -hmm. how you say yep. it? Legree studio. Yeah. Here in town. And you also run the run retreats, which um, if you follow Jenny on Instagram, you'll be able to f see the link to that as well. So yeah, you have a lot going on. I'm sure that the time management is always a challenge. Um, question number three is what's a song you can listen to on repeat? Oh my God. Okay. Probably I'm, this is an answer and a non-answer. Anything by Billy Joel. Um, I'm biggest Billy Joel fan. And so any song I know them all by heart. So really I could just listen to those albums on repeat. I love it. I love it. That's, that's a great answer. Uh, number four, what is inspiring you about life right now? Oh, honestly, um, I'm a planner. So planning for next year right now, um, my husband and I are talking about taking a few big trips that have been put on the back burner for a while. So inspiring me to get my stuff together now so I can enjoy uh, next summer just a little bit more and have a little less on my plate than I did this year. Yeah. Nice. What is one place that you guys are thinking about going? We want to spend some time in Colorado. Um, we did that back in 2019 okay. and I used to live out there in the mountains and we'd like to spend, we'd like to spend a month or, or so out there um, just running and still both working, but off, off the grid a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. And then last question, what's the best advice you've ever received? That quote, you can be anything you want, but not all at the same time. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, ah, that's a good one. I'm not sure I've ever heard that before, but that, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you, cool. you, can, well, you can do everything and be everything, but maybe not all at once. Maybe there's a time and a season in your life for, for everything. All right. Well, to any of my audience, any of the listeners who um, would like to follow Jenny further, you can check her out on Instagram at it's Jenny Mayer. I will go ahead and link that in the episode description as well. And she also has her website where you can find kind of all of her um, coaching opportunities, which is www.jennymayer.com. And I will also link that. But Jenny, I just wanted to thank you for your time. It was really awesome once again, just to get an hour to chat with you and learn more about you and you know, what's allowed you to get to where you are now, which sounds like it's a lot of self-determination and hard work, which is really inspiring. So yeah, I just appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun and just love what you're doing and encouraging people to, to do and think about. So, um, it was an, it was an honor to be here and just share my story. Yeah, of course. Well, um, to everyone listening, I will leave you guys with this as always changing your path will not be easy. It will be challenging. And I'll say that over and over again. And my guests say it as well every time they come onto the podcast too, but it will be worth it. So I I'll ask you to do a self check today. Are you on your path up your mountain? And if not, what path are you on? 